Hey everybody, what's up? I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And this is Animates. Uh, we want to start off by saying, like, we're sorry it's been so long. Life gets in the way. I know I made the same excuse last time, but I'm planning a wedding right now. Um, and then we had another, basically, we were all set to record and then something so, so horrible happened in our society. And both of us just felt like I can't. I can't record something so lighthearted about a show that's so shiny and optimistic right after something so horrible happened. And so we felt like we just needed to take a pause and try and schedule when we were in a better better frame of mind. But we are here now and we are prepared to provide you the content that you crave. We are actually finishing out our current season which seasons roughly tack on to the calendar year for us. So vaguely. We, <laughs> vaguely. It, it's worked out that way. Rough, <laughs> roughly speaking for the most part. So we've got um, a new horizon set for ourselves, which is actually an old horizon. Yes. We're going back to the golden and silver ages of Nickelodeon animation, um, which we think is going to be really interesting because it is a super different perspective than everything that we have been doing. Um, it's gross. It's dumb. Sometimes it's mean. Um, and But it was all totally brand new at the time just completely new and um i think we're really gonna enjoy it because I'll, I'll say you know even if what you're eating i won't say that every show we've watched has been quite this but like even if what you're eating is filet mignon you know if you just eat it and eat it and eat it eventually it starts to just taste like the most tasteless ground beef you know and you need you need to you know you need to eat uh you know the little the little mint 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 melon sorbet or whatever to cleanse your palate or maybe like a big greasy sloppy peanut butter bacon burger <laughs> you know to cleanse your palate and it tastes like something different you know which is to say more clearly that we've been working through renaissance and post-renaissance material for a while now and the something we'll talk about today in a little, in a little more detail is just that a problem I think that artists are very well aware of, sort of like the perennial problem of uh, any endeavor in the human sphere that relies on liking and novelty is that once you set a bar, the bar is what it is, and one has to keep at the very least rising to it. So it it sort of sucks I'll admit, I'll, I'll give credit to people who come after. Like, when Adventure Time came out, it was like, wow, what the fuck is this? This is awesome. But if you take those same things and just, like, do it again over and over and over, again, it, it your palate just becomes numb to it. So you, you judge it maybe a little bit too harshly. So we're going to go back. We're going to get away from the high high concept stuff um just as kind of a preview for people who might get excited like me we're going to be talking about things like spongebob 
uh, fairly early. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch something where it's like, what's the concept of this show? There is a socially anxious wombat, <laughs> which sounds very modern, but <laughs> in fact, is not. So I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I think that ultimately this will be good for everybody, including people who are older and yes. are like, we're not watching these cartoons anymore, guys. So. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, maybe rope a couple of people back in. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that this show, this show is a great example, um, about how you can make a show that you could very reasonably argue is like technically perfect, but through no fault of the show or its creative team makes me feel kind of bored. You know, um, and that's partially a a problem with our current like animation landscape and partially a problem with me as a viewer. Um, And that's what we're going to discuss about today's show. Kid Cosmic. Um, This is a Netflix original animation. I think it's the first Netflix original animation that we have watched uh, following close on the heels of, I believe, the first streaming service original animation that we watched was, in fact, infinity train which is gone now fuck you hbo and discovery i'm very mad but that's a whole other issue (laughs) yeah so kid cosmic is interesting for us because you know one thing that i do really appreciate about this is we have talked a variety of times about people like tracing people's careers and this show provides an excellent opportunity for us to check in with one of the first people that we talked about originally on this show um Mm -hmm. the indomitable craig mccracken yes craig mccracken uh creator and showrunner of powerpuff girls which we have covered Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, which we have covered, and Wander Over Yonder, uh, which we have not covered. Network Jumper, interestingly enough. First two of those were Cartoon Network. Third was Disney, and now he's produced a show for Netflix. He's working with largely, in terms of the higher-ups, largely the same creative team that he worked with on Foster's. Um, Rob Renzetti, who we've talked about before as a director, um is very involved with this and there's a third person and she's a woman and her name is slipping my mind but she's also involved <laughs> are you thinking of lauren faust his might wife? be it might be lauren Faust. i didn't know that that was his wife though yeah so lauren faust helped develop the show yes okay that must be what it is and they worked they've worked together creatively in the past and i just because she works under her own name i did not realize that they were married um But yeah, so and this in many ways very much feels like Craig McCracken makes a post Renaissance show. Uh, It has so many a lot of what he has done historically makes translates naturally into the sort of post Renaissance animation landscape. Um, He always did sort of like comic book homages and and fantasy and and sci-fi and that kind of stuff and so this is super duper polished super polished like the animation looks great the storytelling is tight you know like you can tell that this is a creative team that has worked together on and off for 25 years you know that they know what they're doing right they're not 
new to the industry. And it is big and bright and flashy and fast and totally optimistic. And it's just very, very Craig McCracken while also being like diverse and grappling with complex emotional themes, you know? I, in, in many ways, it, it tackle, it checks the boxes. It's, yes. <laughs> I really hate to start talking about it that way, but it's like, think about, okay, think about Adventure Time and Steven Universe. What boxes did they create that we now have to check? Yes. Yes. There you go. So yeah, it's like, like, I think that and there have been other shows that have expanded on them more because they were like a little bit less, a little bit more grounded in reality. So like the sort of racial diversity is the way that it was interpreted. So it's like, do we have a like racially diverse cast? Do we have, um, you know, women who are our major characters? Um, do we have queer people? This time I think no. Uh, no queer people this time. But, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, it's not a buffet. <laughs> you know, it's like, do we have storytelling that is dealing with complex emotional themes and high levels of character development? Yeah. And it's it's interesting because. As good as that is, it's almost like it was so refreshing when it was Adventure Time or when it was Steven Universe or even when it was regular show. But now it's almost compulsory, so it has like a different sort of feeling to it. It's like I'd be, I'd be surprised if that weren't there, <laughs> you know. And I would feel like they were making a statement, one that I did not agree with. But I feel like they were, they would be making a statement if those things were not there. I I do think again that this is perhaps more of a reflection of us than it is of the actual show like okay if i were as a teacher to and i and i do this i do you know how many papers that i read that all sound very similar to other oh i'm papers, sure other papers that i've read and that's not a poor reflection <laughs> on students like everybody is essentially at the same point in their learning experience when they come to me exactly so of course they're going to be very similar papers but mm -hmm. i don't i i I grade a paper not based on what papers I have read before, roughly speaking. Yeah. But I'm never, I very rarely see a paper that I'm like, ooh, that's spicy. <laughs> it's always refreshing when I do, but that has become increasingly rare because I'm increasingly seeing the ground that people trod. And that doesn't mean that I don't give them an A if they deserve an A, right? That's Yeah. Exactly. They can't, they can't not do that. But even though I give it an A, if somebody were to be like, what did you think of that paper? I would be like, it was good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think that, uh, Chris, you had like a great metaphor to do with, with baking, I believe, about this show. Well, yeah. So as I've talked about the Great British Baking Show many times, the metaphor you might say is overbaked <laughs> but yeah um like technically technically really well executed maybe just a little bit overbaked that's that's an excellent bake well tart there <laughs> you know like and that's the thing about this show is that it's like a quality work but i'm just not that interested basically 
So um, we introduced the creative team. Just a quick idea about what the show is. It's all uh, like an homage and an inversion of tropes related to comic books. So we've got, we start out, we're in this like little desert town. The setting is coolest to me of really anything. And that like almost feels like an homage to like Looney Tunes um, in a way. But um, so little desert town, there's a kid. He's an orphan. It's very sad. Um, He's obsessed with comic books and he sees a UFO crash. He's like, oh, this is for sure. It's happening. There's going to be rocks. They're going to give us powers. Lo and behold, he's correct. Slowly, everybody else in his town gets involved with this and they end up in cosmic conflict with other life forms, with aliens. Um, There's three seasons. I only watched the first two because the way that I felt was that they had told that seasons one and two were very connected to one another and that they had told a cohesive story and they had largely completed that story. And that season three was kind of a like, this is popular, let's create more. And there is nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. Um, But I just, because I didn't, I just... They told the story in seasons one and two, and I just did not personally feel super motivated to watch the third season. I did uh, watch, I will say I watched the third season. I I know what happens. I do think that they used the third season as an opportunity to flesh out some story beats that were left unfleshed out. Er. Uh, they, They used it especially to like, understand Erodius better. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Because Erodius was just like... So Erodius was the primary villain of the entire series, even though he was mostly introduced in season two. And he was a, like, sort of semi-sentient rogue planet that destroyed other planets. And so it definitely... Like an homage to various stuff like Ego, the living planet, and things like that. And so what's interesting is like, yeah, they didn't give me any lore, but it's a concept that I was like, that I'm so familiar, like it's a well-trod concept in like comic books and sci-fi. So I was like, oh, yep, okay. <laughs> like I wasn't looking for them to, I like, I'm always looking for lore, but like I didn't feel like you didn't give me enough lore here because I'm familiar with the concept, you know? And. I, I like they, they do sort of like a classic story beat, which is that I mean, this is massive spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers, don't listen to the show. How many times do we have to say? That? <laughs> uh-huh. But the. Erodius is a classic example of like hurt people, hurt people. Mm. It's not super groundbreaking. It is very sad, but like. The planet killer used to be a planet that healed things, but after it sustained an injury, tried to go around to heal itself. Oh, okay. That's sad. Yeah. So really, the actual villain of the series is Phantos. Okay, the fanboy. Yeah. Actually, that... Okay, there are two things that I really like about this show. Um, Like, really, really like. The first one is... I really, really, really like Phantos for a variety of reasons. Um, And the other one we'll get to later. 
But the actual villain of the series is Phantos, the fanboy. You know, he's great. He is he's like 100 percent homage to Thanos, um, Phantos, the ambassador. But he's also just like he lives at home with his mom. His mom kicks him out after the second at the end of the second season. He's like a collector. He's an obsessive fanboy of Erodius. He's like super immature. And he's voiced by Bobby Moynihan with his voice pitch sifted, which is something I do really like. <laughs> Well, and also he's, I, I, I really like, he's definitely supposed to be like, fans are the fucking worst. <laughs> fandom is awful. Fandom is terrible. Fuck fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I really identify with because I like a lot of nerdy things. And as a person who feels like they are fairly grounded and fairly measured in their opinions and criticisms, fans are the worst. There are a lot of things that I like that I feel like I have to like when when I, I keep it to myself that I like them. And then when it, I end up revealing to people that I like them, I feel like I have to say, but like, not like that. Most of us are totally normal. <laughs> so Phantos is, is definitely like an obsessive, like an uber obsessive fan, which is wonderful. Yes. And they end up misunderstanding the thing that they're a fan of. Mwah, chef's kiss. It's like all those people who look at the Homelander from The Boys and think that that is something to aspire to when, like, the person who wrote the comic book and Eric Kripke, the person who created The Boys television show, is like, no, this is, like, do you, how do you guys not understand that this is a metaphor for, like, modern politics in America and that this is bad? Yeah, I haven't watched the show or read the comics. I've been meaning to, but I, I I assume from what little I know, it's basically like reading Watchmen and being like, the comedian is awesome. Right, exactly. Yeah, 100%. That's, that, that is very, like, very similar vein of idea. So, like, Phantos is the same. He, he fundamentally misunderstands Erodius and sure. it causes all sorts of pain because of it. So, I mean... I don't feel like summarizing a ton of the plot because it it operates very similar to a comic book story, which is like a group of misfits gets together, they fight the villains, they ostensibly win, there are hardships and loss, but they find strength in each other and eventually go to win. And I... I realize that's super reductive, but we're all very familiar, even and in like, okay, so in music, like, you have songs, sorry, pieces, if it's not choral, that, you know, they have dissonant tones to them, but they, like, a lot of them still, like, resolve. Yeah. And, and like this, you can have points of, like inversion or subversion in a show, but a show like this, like ultimately they still resolve to the tonic. They return to a familiar baseline to provide coherence to the structure of their story. So, yeah. And it's like, if you, even if you were to watch this, I think and be like, Paige and Chris, I think you're wrong. I didn't think this was even just the tiniest bit stale. I was super engaged. I loved it. I thought it was great. I want more of it you still probably wouldn't be surprised by any of the story beats 
that it hits. I think that they play up the 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 heroes that fuck everything up. Yes. Even now that's played out. And yeah. Choosing to do that type of story is not a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. I won't even call it unoriginal. And I won't call it cliche because it's executed really well. Mm -hmm. But it is it is a well-trod path at this point. And so they're fighting a little against like the internal inertia of us to the viewers. And you might not have that same experience, and that's totally valid. But that's my assessment. For me, it, it at this point, inversions and subversions are almost the status quo, which one could argue, is it even subversive anymore? If yes, that is what is kind okay, of okay. So it's like we've got thesis, we've got antithesis, we have gone through the process, we have reached a new synthesis. So what was like what the former antithesis, like, you know, uh, what was like a subversion of, of previous tropes, we've gotten to the point where like we've reached a synthesis and that sort of like, they're a hero, but they don't actually, they're, they're a hero, but they're not totally competent and they don't know what they're doing. And, and they're, they're just trying their best, but they're making mistakes and they're tripping over their own flaws. Like that is, that's, that's, that's the new thesis. You know, that's the new thesis. That's the way that we do storytelling now. Right. But it's all executed flawlessly perfectly perfectly it's so freaking polished like i cannot tell like and that's the thing and it's like we've got here they've clearly tried to do something which i which i do really appreciate which is like your main main cast like so you've got kid himself right um who's i would say probably what like 10 10 years old something like that um who is the main like the main character of season one, I would argue he is not the main character of season two. Um, I would say that his friend Flo, his co-protagonist, she's the main character of season two. You're thinking of Joe. So Joe. Yes, Joe. Sorry, not Flo. They do a cute thing with rhyming names for a whole generation, like for like a family and it can get confusing. So Joe. Um, she's a teenage girl. She's black. Um, diversity checkbox. Um, she like so. Kid, he is an orphan. He is maybe very gently coded as neurodivergent in some way. I would say very, very gently, just a little sprinkle. So one thing that I will say about this character that I want to circle back to is what they do try to do like again i realize like psychological investigation also has become very common but i think what they do with joe and kid is very and and even papa g one of the other main characters is very interesting um that is a little bit newer and i'll kind of explain why but um yeah so kid also is co like some people have said he's kind of coded as having ptsd Maybe a smidge, yeah. I mean, he was in a yeah, car. Yeah, because it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, do they ever reveal that he was in the car? I'm almost, a sh I, I do believe that he was in the car accident with his parents. Yeah, so it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, 
what the like some of the behaviors you could argue that they're um like there are multiple things that present very similarly in that part of childhood you could say they mean for him to have ptsd they mean for him to have add they mean for him to have uh something on the autism spectrum you know like they're there are a variety of different things that present in a really similar way, but it does seem like, and they don't go real intense with it, but it does seem like there is like some, a little, a little bit of like lightly, oh, this kid's neurodivergent, right? Um, so, and then, but what I was trying to get at is like him, Joe, and then a four-year-old Mexican-American girl named Rosa uh, are all the, they're the, like the main, main cast. And they are all voiced by people who are relatively unknown. Uh, Kid and Rosa, their voice actors don't even have a Wikipedia page. And Joe's voice actor has done a lot of work in anime dubs, but doesn't have a lot of credits in more standard American animation. Whereas the people around them are... uh, real real greats real legends so we've got like tom kenny Cree summer shows up like haven't heard from her in a while you know <laughs> and uh um you know bobby moynihan's in there i i wouldn't say that he's necessarily a voice acting great but you know he is known right uh fred tata shiori i think is how you pronounce it um I think Gray Delisle shows up at one point. Like, so you get all these different, you know, guest spots, guest spots from from Phil Lamar and all kinds of just really well-known people. You know, Jack McBrayer shows up and stuff like that. So it seems like they were trying to center this on a new sort of generation of people um, with with having relative unknowns and support them with uh you know really experienced people from the industry yeah and and this is one of those cases where it's really nice because unlike shira they didn't try to use actors for voice acting roles so that was nice that was that was definitely like I saw that and I was like, oh, this is very positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was nice. Oh, I, and I totally forgot like what I said, like, oh, I think that f- this is our first Netflix property. And like, I'm pretty sure that Infinity Train was our first streaming property. That's not true. We did Shira. <laughs> That's a Netflix property. That was our first. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, um, go on, Chris. So this is got like... The cast all do really well. Even the new, like, like I, I wouldn't say newcomer is weird because the kids might might be, but like Amanda C. Miller has done a lot of voice acting, so saying she did a really good performance isn't surprising. But yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed like all of them, and the sound design for the show is also really good. It is very aesthetic. Specifically, it very, very, like, it's very curated to match the style of the show. It's got, like, a, I'm, I wish I had the musical vocabulary to describe it, but it's, like, kind of, like, a grungy, 
uh, like un un super hi fi mixed like guitars and drums and yeah it's got like fuzzy guitars you know like it's just like everything like the guitars are put through like a bunch of different like fuzz pedals and stuff you know so it it's really pleasant because it it matches what they're going for really well so i i I wanted to say something about that that i i really appreciated that the sound design is really good it is very like it is jarringly different than the like chip tune low like hi-fi lo-fi which i know that doesn't make any fucking sense but just go with me on it the the, like i don't know like you know what i'm talking about like the cartoon network style electronic synth soft music aesthetic yes yes it's like very like rock and roll and like sort of like the end of each episode is either like a record player or a jukebox playing like you know, like a like a punk record, basically. It definitely has the sound of like seventies punk to it. You know, like rough and and fast, right? And and shouty. Um, which that that was actually refreshing. I would say that the music was like one of the most refreshing elements. Um so that like that was cool. I, I also felt like I felt like they were trying to like convey something with that music stuff that I wasn't quite picking up on. Like, I think that they think of that as really, really important, but I couldn't figure out what they were trying to tell me with that. So, Craig McCracken, uh, please email us and explain. <laughs> I feel like it's just scrappy. Like, they were just, they were trying to connote, like, it's, it, it, it's a, it feels, that's important. It's not unpolished music. It feels like rough, scrappy, um, energetic just like the cast. So I think it's just a, it's sure. just it's just there to accentuate the the general aesthetic and story beats that the cast goes through. Sure, um, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying with that. Yeah, um I would say that like probably my favorite part of the show was Tom Kenny's main character Stuck Chuck. He was a great time. Really enjoyed. So it's like there's an there's an alien He's attacking them. Joe finds out she can make portals. She uses a portal to cause this alien to become stuck in the floor of Kid's trailer. <laughs> so, and then later, like, his just lower half is just completely gone. So he just is lower halfless and, like, moves around on his hands all the time. And he's voiced by Tom Kenny. And he's very, very funny. I very much enjoy Stuck Chuck. Yeah, his species doesn't apparently require their legs. Yeah, or like lower intestines. <laughs> uh, okay, so one thing that I definitely want to speak to is I, I think the show does a very good, interesting job of investigating Kid and Joe. Kid yes. in the first season, Joe in the second. And that's why they, they kind of like trade the main character hat. And Joe kind of feels like she stays the main character somewhat even into the third season. So Kid is... Kid is sort of like a... Okay, so Kid is very annoying, but not in a way... Not in a way that is truly annoying, but, like, they keep... 
they're a nine-year-old, so they keep making mistakes. And the kind of... Yeah, the, the kid isn't annoying to the viewer the way that some characters in more classic animation are. Kid is annoying to the people around him. He clearly has a lot, a lot, and understandably so, of baggage surrounding the mm-hmm. death of his parents. And he feels responsible for that. And he has channeled it all into superhero fandom. And and because he's nine, like, he still plays and acts and reads comics. And he's he's a kid. And his parents loved comics, too. So part of that is it, it runs in the family. Because his, his grandpa, Papa G, also likes likes comics so it's sort of like a family thing and throughout the like throughout the first season kid is obsessive about creating the perfect image of a superhero team that exists in the comic books and he constantly self-sabotages or overestimates their abilities or he he's sort of like a poster child for he 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 thinks magically and cannot get away from it but as as troubling as it is like it totally makes sense why he's like this yeah he's just um it's it's a control thing to an extent too like he has a really vivid fantasy life he has the opportunity to make his fantasy a reality And he needs to exert control to make sure that it's right. Uh, And when he's not able to do that, he ends up self-sabotaging. I think that you can compare... In this sense, Kid is more psychologically developed along the lines of a Steven Universe than they are of a Finn from Adventure Time. Because they, they have a very internal internally consistent worldview set of behaviors responses to stress and that's very good character design like they're writing the character very very well because it's kids behavior is very predictable and that's a good thing a good like People's personalities don't just change. So, like, predicting kids' behavior is usually pretty good. It's like if he has an opportunity to insert his view of how things should go and it's going to mess up some situation, you know that's what's going to happen. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's sort of, it's interesting because. I think it's also they did a good job with um, reflecting like the differing ages of our co-protagonists here because most of the time when Kid is struggling and his plot lines, I'm like, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, come on, bud. Whereas with Joe, I'm like, I am going to kill you. Why are you doing this? You are so stupid. stop doing this and then there are other times where i'm like papa g you are an awful guardian 
Oh, he's not responsible at all. Like, I'm like, you shouldn't be allowing any of this to happen, Papa G. <laughs> like, Joe is a teenager, so a lot of that can be forgiven for her being a teenager, too. But like, exactly. I, I don't know. I, that's one of the areas where this show is particularly problematic is like adults are very laissez faire with their kids. Yes. Like, yes, it doesn't matter that Rosa has a stone that allows her to become huge. She's still four years old. Yes. Yes. So when her parents were like, no, we don't want her to participate in this. They were right. And they shouldn't have changed their mind. <laughs> they that so that if there's something that it's like the show definitely exists sort of like in a magical world. It's the fact that. People do explain away a couple of things with the power of friendship. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, it's like, well, now it's the whole town that's part of the superhero team. And, um, you know, so it's fine because Rosa's all her parents are always with her. I'm like, it's not fine. She's in a lot of danger. It's your job to protect your child. Well, you know, and actually you you make a good point that I, I didn't think of until just this moment. But I actually, upon analysis, I do think something that he does very like Craig McCracken and his team have done incredibly well is a construction of the superhero fantasy that is collectivist. Yeah, that is interesting about it because basically you can see this same thing as both a flaw and a strength in the storytelling. The powers come from these stones, which it turns out are tiny pieces of like planets that have been destroyed and they imbue people with the powers that the original residents of that planet had right and so slowly over time there's like you realize there's like like a bunch of them there's like more and more and more and more and more stones so more and more people can have access to these powers or even more than one power at the same time and they can choose like which power they have preference with and like to use best or whatever um and so you can you can both see that as because the way i kind of saw it is it was like okay guys like how many freaking stones are there like yeah if everybody can do everything okay like there's what what are the what are the constraints what gives you constraints on your storytelling here like you know how do you stop it from just getting completely op but also at the same time that makes it it's just like so now this whole itsy bitsy little truck stop desert truck stop town like all 15 of them are a superhero team together and they can all like work together to decide you know what's best for everybody to do at a given time right and this is something that well, and, and kind of what I mean, too, is that usually superhero stories are inherently like, let's remember where superhero like superheroes were born out of like the. Oh, my God. Was it the post-war era? Were there some comic books pre? It was it was interwar Superman. Um, Superman was was pre World War Two. Um, you like. Like. Superheroes come out of like a weird um American 
like Americanization of Nietzschean philosophy. Well, and, and <laughs> there's a reason the first one is called Superman. That's literally the English translation of Ubermensch. So I, I do think that many people will see the like superheroes are just the modern myth. That yeah. Odysseus was also basically a Superman. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. So saying it's purely American is a little bit unfair. I would I would say it is the distillation of this idea. And when you distill something, you clarify it and you intensify it. So what I was meaning is that like Nietzsche, uh, like uh, like Nietzschean philosophy is 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 nihilistic. Um, but Superman, the character is not. It has the uniquely American optimism to it. So what I was meaning is that the creation, like the first comic book superhero was Superman, and that character is created by filtering Nietzschean philosophy through uniquely American optimism to create that character. Okay, I see what you mean. Got it. Yeah. Makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess a lot of previous myths are not optimistic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and not every not every superhero, you know, like obviously it took on a life of its own, but like that's the original, right? Um and I think that this um but like I think that this show is definitely in that vein of the original, you know, action comics Superman, but I think that it is I think what maybe you were trying to get at whereas you know, Superman and and Batman and like most of the original DC comics, uh, less so Marvel, are about like individual powerful men like being able to like face down, you know, evil and, and fix things. Whereas this is a more more Marvelized, like Marvel, like sort of like the Marvel team concept, like taken to its extreme, that it's like everyone everyone has that ability like literally everyone can become powerful enough to you know face down evil and, and stop it right but even yeah i i and, and, but even more so like individual people in this setting don't usually save the day it and it's mm -hmm. not the thing that usually allows them to survive or save the day is their bond not their power yes. their powers yes. facilitate their bonds being the thing that helps them so the power of teamwork that saves the day <laughs> and, and i still think like marvel comics as cool as like the avengers is the avenger the avengers is and, and they i think they would be the first to say it like recognize this very rarely are the avengers actually a team they are a group of individuals that's interesting. Yeah, because I've heard other people argue that like one of the major differences between DC and Marvel is that with DC, you know, you have Superman and you have Batman and you have the Flash and you have all of these individuals and then occasionally they get together and do the Justice League. Whereas with Marvel, you have the Avengers and then sometimes you have Spidey by himself, you know? And like the thing the okay the fact of the matter is is that the way that those stories are constructed is that crossovers are designed to up sales yes <laughs> crossovers not are, necessarily about what's good storytelling or what makes a good team <laughs> right so people love crossovers i love a fucking crossover i'm i'm, I'm a basic bitch but 
the fact of the matter is, is that you are trying to up the sales of individual heroes comics as well as sell the crossover feature. So you want people to go read about mm -hmm. Spider-Man. You want people yes. to go read about Iron Man. So mm -hmm. they gather these people together. And in order to do that, they have to maintain their individuality because mm -hmm. their individuality is what sells their individual comic lines. So even with like, I would argue the X-Men is the closest they get to actual really good teams. Yeah. Because the X-Men organizes their coherent struggle around deviancy. Yes, yes. So it's like, whereas like the Kid Cosmic team is more like the X -Men. The super, like, well, I was going to say they're more like the super friends. Whereas like, you know, the even the Wonder Twins, the both of them could never do shit together. Like they'd be trying to fight a guy and one of them would be like, form of a bucket of water and the other one would be like form of a capuchin monkey and the villain would be like what the fuck is happening <laughs> what am i supposed to do with this so i i think that like craig mccracken has really instilled the idea that these are not individual powerful people these like this is a sometimes dysfunctional community family, family or a community yeah of, of mm -hmm. people and that community is core to their strength and i i think that that is where it tries to deviate strongly from the individualistic nature of the vast majority of american comic book stories yes i think that is one of the most so in many ways like I think that's successful, but I think it's also like unsuccessful in some ways because he's still they created an entire storyline in season two where like, well, I don't know. I don't know whether or not to say the successful or not, because basically the entire storyline of season two is like one person like just is fucking it up for everybody because like she can't but like at the same time it's because they all think that there needs to be leadership and when she's like maybe there doesn't need to be leadership that this show is act this show's anarchist <laughs> well so this is the thing like i actually disagree with you i think the well not disagree the second season um the first season creates this showing that kid is too overbearing and needs to let his community be be themselves and 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 not follow a pre so season one is like kid we do not need to follow your predefined idea of what a superhero team is which is that very individualistic like we all have got our super moves everybody does exactly what they're supposed to so season two um is a really nice bump to that idea by having joe get influenced by Queen Jean, a monarch who has very traditionalist hierarchical ideas of leadership. And the whole yes. point of that is to show, like to create interesting internal conflict for Joe psychologically, but on the other side is also designed to show that those ideas when implemented in can, can, actually disrupt and prevent the community from actually being what it needs to be or what what it could be so 
it's trying to say, kid, your stereotypes and your predefined ideas aren't going to work. Queen John, a traditional leadership system is not workable for this community of powered people. And you need to be more, I hate, you need to be more horizontal about it. (laughs) Yeah. So that it's very internally consistent in that way. And it shows it in different ways. Yeah. And I would say like, so I did have some issues with the psychological conflict for Joe in season two, which is that she was trying to be too authoritarian with everybody, basically, and not take anybody else's ideas into consideration. And that was a problem. And that's not good leadership, obviously. But the part of this was the conflict between her mother and Queen John for influence over her, right? And but some of Queen John's advice was good. And they just, when they showed how it was bad, it was like, well, it's only bad in like this one particular circumstance or if you like interpret it wrong. But the idea of like, take risks, make things happen, like that's not bad advice for a leader. That's good advice. And it's like, yeah, sure. But take risks doesn't mean just like charge ahead without thinking about anything. So yeah, obviously, if you interpret it that way, things aren't going to go well. But the idea like, but the, the idea that it's like, don't ever take risks is like good advice that's that's not that's not good advice that's bad advice you know yeah but it was it was sort of like holistically queen jean it okay yeah if you take each piece in isolation some of them are individually bad but as a collection it was it was sort of like a recipe for the authoritarian Yes. I don't think it's fair to say that some of that advice was good because that would be saying, okay, taken out of context. Yeah, I suppose. It's not, you can't say take risks, make things happen alone is cool when the next line down is do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just like with the, particularly with the like take risks thing because they like basically they show, they had... Each item on the list of advice that Queen John gave her had an its own episode showing why it was bad, you know, like each. And so it's like if you're going to have like each like piece of advice gets an episode showing you why it's bad to do that. And like one of them is about take risks. I'm like, well, I don't think that that's good. Like it's not I don't think it's good to like have a whole episode of a show for children where the moral of it is like, that's why you shouldn't take risks. <laughs> that's not helpful. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, when in that one, I'm like, well, okay, they're showing, there's two different kinds of take risks. And I think when most people are talking about leadership advice, what they mean with take risks are very different than what was being portrayed in that episode as like that's more what i would call like risky behavior as opposed to like take take risks means like start that business or whatever (laughs) you know and like it's also important like all of these pieces of advice queen john was clearly giving in the context of we have to go fight a planet killer yeah yeah definitely with Mm -hmm. a train with an untrained team of normies yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's the thing is it's like they kind of set it up as like Joe's mom Flo is this like very gentle 
person who like you know like always like really thinks it through and you know like is like we always have to like consider like what's that weird motto like you know that like a smile will get you through or whatever or something like that and like queen jean is like hard and you know intense and she influenced joe and that made joe worse and joe only became a better leader when she became like just like her mom or whatever and i'm like well i don't think that's necessarily true i think that a synthesis of both of those types of ideas is what's really needed for good leadership you know and i thought that the show i i didn't i thought that the show was like nah you should just be like you gotta smile and like take a step back and you know like let people like flourish and be themselves and i'm like i don't know guys like i think you're taking an overly optimistic view of like what it takes to get things done i don't know right it this is the inherent tension like as we get so i i think a good place for us to kind of like step up to 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 approach an end point because we're not going to talk about specific story beats um in detail i might talk about some of my favorite moments but is the the inherent tension between doing something good, something realistic, something high concept, fantasy mm-hmm. or sci-fi, and doing something a world that's internally consistent. Yeah. This that like I've seen that like we talked about it with Steven Universe and the Space Empire finishes with hugs. Yeah. <laughs> um we can talk about it like actually adventure time weirdly does not fall prone to this problem um, Pendleton Ward's just a genius is what's going on with that <laughs> um, but like Shira had problems oh, like yeah. this and Kid Cosmic does too like you can't <laughs> do a story about how you're not as cool as you think you are and then have a four year old who can take laser blasts to her bare skin. I don't care how big your skin is. <laughs> it just makes you a bigger target. But, like... It, it doesn't make you invulnerable. Like, super size and invulnerability are two different powers. <laughs> it, so it has, like... And, and have her not be hurt. Or, or have them still win. Like, I, like this is the problem. It, you are not, like, there's, you, you, you trap yourself and you cannot go as far as one might want you to. Maybe this is, this is a criticism that I feel like only an adult would levy against a show, is demanding that it be more internally consistent and everybody in the audience is like, dude, step the fuck back, it's a cartoon. And I'm like, fine, but... They are entering into a space where there are shows who have resolved these problems and are still for kids and adults and are funny. So mm-hmm. that's just the bar that has been set. And it's fair yeah. to levy that criticism that they just there's there's sort of like a, they they run themselves into a corner where they mm-hmm. want to see the consequences of actions. But then they don't want us to see consequences for other actions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, this is kind of connected to what we were saying about how we just like, we're like, this is a technically really, really excellent show. 
but just neither of us really were all that grabbed by it. And um, I think it's, you know, we have this current animation landscape that is absolutely inundated with these like lovingly made high concept fantasy and sci-fi shows with complex emotional themes and, you know, like psychological you know, psychological realism type storytelling, right? Like high concept sci-fi psychological realism, right? Is what we're getting in the animation space over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And it gets to the point where it's like, I'm somehow almost tired of it. Um, and I, I somehow I'm like, what if, you know, like if, if you like, we were both really so you can say like but guys you were both so into infinity train and it's like yes what is the difference between those two shows and i think it's that infinity train brought this kind of horror element brought these aspects of like john carpenter and philip k dick into the space in a way that was different that that like was reflecting all that stuff that we talked about back in a funhouse mirror in a way. Um, but the problem with that is it reached a point where like, this is no longer for children. <laughs> you know, this has gotten too adult, right? And so it had its own problem. Like we liked it more, you know, we were more invested in it, but it had its own very serious problems. Um, and and so I feel like this is what you, you get to a certain point where what was previously super different and and interesting has become now what is the standard and i need you i need you to give me something more it's like oh yeah it's like they're super like people have powers and they're aliens and they go to space and this kid is an orphan and he's very sad about that and he's like but he you know isn't a Disney heroine, so he isn't just prettily sad about it. He's sad about it in ways that make him act in ways that are difficult, you know, and like that have negative consequences for the people around him. It's like, wow, like, okay, that is absolutely fantastic. And I've seen it 15 times, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's getting to the point where it's like, what is, we've done this for 10 years and it's been great. What is next, you know? And that's an interesting question that I feel like if this goes on long enough, geez, what what will be the new status quo? And and part of this, too, is we're going to cleanse our palate and maybe that'll change our assessment of we'll be like, oh, this is a re like I'm so tired of SpongeBob. I'm so refreshed that there's a purpose to this show. Like, yeah, that there is a plot. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what we're taking for granted is that there is a purpose. There is a message mm -hmm. there. This exists for a reason. Like we are essentially saying, I'm going to go be nihilistic for a bit and mm -hmm. and then maybe I'll appreciate. Yeah. When people take a stance. <laughs> When people want to tell a story, you know, <laughs> like that's the thing is it's like um, I feel like people people have gotten fatigued in the same way with with like prestige TV, too. You know, they're like, ah, all the TV's too good and I'm bored. <laughs> you know? Like that's that's a problem when you like because when there's even if it's really, really good, when you get to a point where every, where you're just like inundated with like dozens of it. 
and they're all like why are they all high concept fantasy and sci-fi why why are all of them that way i just wrote like you know in the 90s there used to be shows where the concept of the show was like there was a child and that was the whole concept of the show there's a young boy let's look at him (laughs) that was that was the concept of the show and i i'm pretty sure i've heard about that craig of the creek is good i'm pretty sure that's the concept of that show but pretty much everything else is like there's a space empire there's an entirely alternate fantasy land this person can travel interdimensionally um (laughs) you know like there are aliens that people are fighting like everything is so like intense and like high concept and i'm like why don't we bring it down (laughs) no i mean i i think that to some extent we have the ability to do that if we choose to like listen if i get tired of watching the rings of power i can just go watch i think you should leave and that's true but i meant like in the animation space oh, yes. right the what anima- we're doing yes yes yeah, so there's the- lots of there's lots of stuff there's a lot of high concept fantasy and sci-fi out there right now but there's lots of stuff that's not but not really in the animation space yeah at least we don't have the thing where all the new reality shows on netflix are some version of cooking show <laughs> like any like yeah so i i, I feel like Maybe part of this is that we're not watching the networks anymore. That's true. Yeah, I don't think either of us has over-the-air television. You so know, this maybe this is a symptom of streaming. Like, there maybe all that nihilistic drivel still exists, and we just aren't accessing it anymore. And also, like, it's 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 also a consequence of the streaming services algorithms, because you just said all of the new reality shows on Netflix are some version of cooking show. And I said to myself, Christopher, no, they're not. They're all true crime documentaries. (laughs) Holy shit. That's fucking (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. So part of it is that, like, what have you and like, I get a fair amount of cooking shows, too, because I do watch a lot of cooking shows. But like, it's what have you and I watched so much on Netflix that it's showing like Netflix doesn't show me animation because Netflix doesn't carry like Cartoon Network animation. So so much of the animation that I have watched has been on Hulu. Netflix shows me hundreds of true crime documentaries, basically, is what Netflix shows me. So, okay, so this is interesting. Like, we don't have a ton of time left, but the, is it possible, nay, it is likely, that algorithms are designed to give you what you want, but the net result of that is you get only what you have previously, previously wanted. wanted. So It's like you like really were into ice cream for a while and now you would actually really like to have like maybe some pie. But Netflix is like, no, you like ice cream. How about some ice cream? <laughs> you know? The algorithmization of life. Well, I mean, God, people have 
there are so many fucking think pieces about this. I don't even want to talk about it. But like, yeah, it's like, you know, like maybe there are a dozen like gentle Canadian children's cartoons about like, uh, you know, a young girl who, um, you know, is friends with uh, the colorful cast of characters at her local library or something, <laughs> you know, and we just don't know about them. We're just not seeing them. Right. Yeah, we're definitely only watching things meant for American audiences, so none of this might apply outside of the the old colonies. It definitely doesn't apply to anime. No. That's a completely different thing. That's part yeah. of the reason why I continue to go back and watch anime. And Anime's always fresh. Yeah, to some extent, if... You know one thing that I would never get tired of is Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. I mean, but that's in the same way that you, like, never get tired of classic Disney movies. You know, like it's same. It's just like you're like, oh, it's so like, look at it. It's so pretty. Look at that rain. Each raindrop was animated by hand. That fucking turkey <laughs> leg looks like I if I ate it, I would ascend. Look at that jiggly pancake. <laughs> Those eggs that are too big in that bacon slice that is bigger than my fucking hand. <laughs> yeah, the, like this flame is so cute. <laughs> Yeah, so I ultimately I think that like Kid Cosmic is a good show. Your children should watch it. I have no problem with it inherently to its quality, its design. I and I great, and I'm sure if I was a child, I would be like, "Fuck yes!" <laughs> like it's way better than what I used to watch <laughs> when I was a child. Like it, I do feel it's important to. I don't know. I just feel I feel kind of bad. Like I feel bad that this collectively feels like it amounts to a three-star review. It's what yeah, it's like I just I feel bad too because I don't know. Like I don't think it's the show's fault. I also don't think it's entirely our fault as viewers for just being tired of stuff. I think that it is like I think it is an industry problem. Like I do I think because if there were a whole bunch of cartoons out there that were different than this, we would have, like, heard about it from somebody, you know? Like, we wouldn't be entirely unaware that there was this whole other ecosystem of super different English language animated programming, right? Like, we would have at least heard some of it. And so it's just, like, I feel bad that such, like, a powerhouse creative team... I also feel like it is also an example of, like, you can get to a point in your career where you're, like too good you know like you could like there's so many bands that you get to a certain point where you're like it's too polished it lacks the it's almost like you know how sometimes you hear um an album by a band and you're like this is overproduced this show's overproduced you know it's almost like it's just like it's too polished you're like well there's nothing wrong with it it, obviously it's almost perfect it's just that in that the fact that it's almost perfect is the problem that i have with it you know is it is could could really all this gnashing of teeth that we've done be condensed into a simple it doesn't take any swings yeah it doesn't it just doesn't take any risks and i think that's we've been trying to like really explain what we mean and the context for like this does not take any risks whereas like adventure time was nothing but risks this is 
very comfortably moving along in the center channel of the stream created by Adventure Time, you know? It feels like we're one of those food critics who's just like, everybody was eating their food unfoamed, and then they foamed it, and now everything is foam. It's like, it literally makes me think of one of my favorite jokes from the Fairly Odd Parents, where like Cosmo thinks someone has asked about the Bee Gees. For, the, for some reason, he's like, and everyone loved the Bee Gees, and they were everywhere. But then people got mad. Too much Bee Gees, they said. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess all of my gnashing of teeth comes down to there weren't any risks taken, and it sucks that that's a metric of judgment. Yeah, but it is. Like, I don't know. It's like... Yeah, that's the thing is like we're, you know, a pretentious food critic who's like, they weren't brave. Listen, you know, I didn't. Cooking wasn't brave. <laughs> I didn't invent the hedonic treadmill. I, <laughs> I'm not God that create like I'm not evolution that has created human beings to reach a state of homeostasis and unfortunately get used to things like I. I didn't create that system. I merely live in it and everybody lives in it. And when you create a status quo, people just get used to it. And it it just doesn't feel as great anymore. Yeah, it's like we've we've become completely habituated to high concept sci-fi with psychological realism and now our animation industry has to take us off that and write us a prescription for clonopin instead because it's not working anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we need to up our dose of Wellbutrin. Oh god. Like <laughs> that's or, or no, what we're what we're effectively going to go do is we're just going to like go smoke a bunch of pot and watch yeah. like Bugs Bunny cartoons. We're gonna, yeah, like, we're gonna go off our meds and self-medicate for a little while and see if that makes us, like, just crazy enough to want to go back on the meds again. Which, by the way, is not what you should be doing. Don't do that. <laughs> it sucks so bad. Don't do uh, it. I was in a situation of medical deprivation once where I had to go off Zoloft cold turkey and it was the worst. It makes you feel so insane. Yes, you should never... You should never go off antidepressants, cold turkey. That is Don't. very, that is like life-threateningly dangerous. Yeah, depending on what you're on. Yeah, and if for sure, if you're on like, if you're on like a daily dose of benzos, like you might die if you go off them cold turkey. Don't do that. Go to the doctor. <laughs> um, the doctor can give you Suboxone or some other drug, like depending on what it is to help you wean off. Um, they won't give you Suboxone for benzos though, because that's for opioids. Yes, opioids. Um, mm -hmm. I guess they could give you barbiturates. Our society is fucked up. Neither of us are medical professionals. Like, I mean, you're a, like, you're a PhD in psychology, so you do know stuff about, like, behavioral pharmacology. But our society is fucked up that you and I, like, know that much about, like, fucking medications. My, my interest was always purely academic because I was interested in it. But now mm -hmm. it's like, I've heard one too many stories about a friend who was like, yeah, I just went off, like, I just stopped taking my my antidepressant i'm like please don't no. please don't do that yeah i mean like i like i moved into the middle of nowhere where like there were no like any kind of healthcare professionals like within like an hour of me 
And the only pharmacy that was nearby was open from nine to five on weekdays where I worked an hour away from where that pharmacy was from eight to five on weekdays. So I couldn't, even if I had gotten a prescription, I couldn't have filled it. So I had no other choice but to cold turkey go off my antidepressants. And I didn't get to go back on them for almost a year. And it was horrific. Like it was so bad. Like it took me years to get back out of that. I like literally went insane like and just had to self-medicate with 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 herbal life enhancements <laughs> so like we've like started doing a psa which we've done a couple of times like do not do not go off your medication with it that's supervision of a medical professional <laughs> 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 this is just what happened. We're talking. We're talking about Kid Cosmic. We're talking about the hedonic treadmill, and then we're like, "Don't go off your meds." Well, it's just like I made a joke that we were like, but we just want to make sure it's like really clear that like that was a joke, and you shouldn't do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the right. more you know. <laughs> the more you know. Uh, so w- this is a good place for us to stop. Go watch Kid Cosmic. Make your own judgments. Maybe you won't be as sated. As we I are. don't think you'll dislike it. I definitely th- don't think that you'll dislike it. At worst, you'll feel like we did, which is like, I mean, this is fine. I just don't feel compelled to keep watching. Maybe if you put yourself in an altered state of mind, it'll be. Yeah, that's possible. That's it'll possible. be super fresh. You know, if you have access to verbal life enhancements. Or even just like, like, you know, it's like next weekend, if you like go out to the bar and you, you get home, but it's only like 1230, so you're not ready to go to bed or something, and you want to just like, maybe like, eat some popcorn or pizza or something and like do something for like another hour, like maybe check it out, you know? Do some tantric meditation, get into that dissociative headspace, watch some Kid Cosmic. <laughs> Listen to some binaural beats and then watch Kid Cosmic. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I hear binaural beats, for some reason, it just makes me laugh. Like, what a 2012 thing. (laughs) That is just an A-plus joke. Oh, my God. Uh. (laughs) Just like the McRib, it's back. No, oh no, like maybe they might. I've heard that they're taking away binaural beats forever. You know that they're never going to do it again. But they say that all the time. <laughs> it's just to get you to listen to binaural beats more. You know, I heard that like they only release binaural beats when the price of binaural beats versus ASMR like inverts. Right. So they need to be able to move, move some kind of product when there's nobody going. I opened the door. Nobody's going. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that, like that wraps that up. We're just being silly now. Um, so we are going to go to some golden and silver age of Nickelodeon. These will be your classics. You will have heard of these shows before you will have watched them. You might have memories of like your parents not realizing that Ren and Stimpy was not a children's cartoon and like allowing you to watch it. Um, if your parents, um, you know, weren't a, my my parents were savvy media consumers. They're like, no, 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 Ren and Stimpy is not for children. You cannot watch that. <laughs> um, 
and we will probably not be releasing an episode until like late January. Um, just given that the holidays are coming up, we're going to be traveling. I'm going to move house. Um, then I'm going to turn 30. <laughs> um, so it's probably going to take us a hot minute to get this watched and schedule a time to record given the time of year that it is. So I'm very sorry. You will not be able to unwrap a shiny episode of Animates as a Christmas gift. But in the new year, maybe in time for like Chinese New Year, let's say, you know, like it'll be your Chinese New Year present will be first episode of the next season of Animates. So thank you for joining us for this for this season. We will return to our childhoods. Maybe many people will be attracted by that nostalgia. So I'm looking forward to it. Mm hmm. Yeah, so as always, you can find us in various locations on the internet. Um, we are at Animates on Twitter. We are Animates Podcast on Facebook. You can email us. The email address is animates at gmail.com, but there's the numeral eight instead of the letters A-T. We also have a Patreon where you can give us, you know, a dollar, two dollars to help us cover basically just the hosting fees for uh soundcloud so that uh, you, many people don't realize that uh that's not free you do have to pay to host a podcast on um you know a website so that people can access it we do create periodic bonus content you know you might get a bonus episode early occasionally you'll get a bonus episode that's exclusive who knows we might find a minute to like maybe record some bonus content during the holiday season, you'll never, you won't know. You won't know unless you join our Patreon. Um, so as always, we thank you so, so much for listening. I've been Paige. We're also on Spotify. I've been Oh Chris. yeah, we're on Spotify. <laughs> we're on basically, if you can listen to podcasts on it, we're on there. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. And everything else that is a podcast service just uses their APIs. So like whatever you use, we're going to be on there. Um, and on all of those things, please rate, review, and subscribe because it will help other people find the show. And it would just be so lovely if maybe there were other people out here who want something like this and they could find out that we're here. Um, but I think that just about covers it. So everybody, like, happy holidays. Um... We're so happy to have been able to talk with you before the holidays. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris again. <laughs> this has been Annie Mateys, and we'll see you in 2023.